Well, ladies, here we are, our first episode of year two of the Will to Wife podcast with admittedly uh, sporadic episodes only, but so excited to be back with you, ladies, because here with us today, we have our very first interview on the Will to Wife podcast. Joining us today is probably the most influential marriage mentor that I have had in the last few years of my life, Carla. Um, in our last episode at the end of July, we had a triple spotlight on one book and two Facebook groups, which offer mentoring for Catholic wives and mothers. And Carla is a mentor slash administrator for both of those Facebook groups. And she is also the one who introduced me to Laura Doyle and the six intimacy skills. But I don't want to give too much away. So here's Carla. Carla, please, would you um, introduce yourself? to our audience and give us an idea of where your marriage has been. Hi, Aurora. It is so good to be here with you today. Um, I'm Carla. Um, My husband, Paul, and I have 11 children. Um, We like to say six of them the old-fashioned way (laughs) are our biological children. Um, And then we have five adopted children. Um, although four only here on this earth with us, we, we do have uh, our son, Henry, who's in heaven with Jesus, um, dying when he was only two and a half years old. So we, we know that's where he is, um, but the rest are still here with us. Um, we only have <laughs> six children living with us now under the age of 18. And sometimes I laugh when I say that because it even sounds logically silly to me. But when we moved into this house where we're living now, um, we moved summer of 2018. We needed more room. We had, you know, nine children living at home and my husband's 90 year old mother needed to come live in, live with us. So we moved to, through the grace of God and an awesome story, we moved to this amazing house that has seven bedrooms and five bathrooms. Oh, wow. Uh, just such a blessing. Um, so, you know, before my mother-in-law passed away in fall of 2019, we had, you know, 13 people living here on the daily, (laughs) something like that. Like I can't even quite remember how many, (laughs) because right. You know, cause I'm like, was that pre our last adoption post our last adoption? Who died first? What adult child moved out first? Well, this one was a college, but, but I I still live with the ramifications of this because I still, I'm still cooking like there's 13 <laughs> large people living here. Um, my my two oldest boys have moved out. My my one son got married last year. He and his lovely wife just had our first grandchild, my little granddaughter, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so he was a big eater. He moved out. Second son is six foot five, obviously a big and like. Some days I make so much food and I'm like, why am I making so much food? But I was just trained for a long time. So right, it really feels on the daily like not everyone is here, which is an interesting perspective to my life. But um, right now we have, uh, it goes very easily to help make it easy for me to remember. We have a senior in high school, a sophomore in high school, an eighth grader, a sixth grader, a fourth grader. Um, and then our, our newest little addition, little Miss Hannah, who is two, 
who we adopted when she was six weeks old uh, in the middle of COVID uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, her parents were actually from India and were working here and, uh, you know, kind of here for the long haul due to that situation at the time. Um, and she was born with a rare genetic disorder called harlequin ichthyosis that they didn't think they could parent so we we went and got little miss hannah um so yes yeah, so she she takes up a, a good portion of my day um because her genetic skin condition requires a lot of extra care and she is fed via a g-tube and a feeding pump and so we have to do this hour and a half two hour long bath process every day um, it, it, I kind of laugh from the moment I wake up, usually if I, if I'm jumping out of bed, if I wake up at a normal time, I, I can do, you know, most of my other kids, again, ages 10 and up pretty self-sufficient. Uh -huh. Um, but like, I'm literally doing things with Hannah for Hannah only like from like 7am to like noon. Like sure. that's the prep time. That's the setup time. I can get her food ready for the day. I can do that bath. I can do the bulk of her skincare. Although we do do some extra stuff um, every time we change her diaper, for instance, during the day, but you're changing a diaper anyway, right? So like, I don't consider that. I don't consider <laughs> that my extra youngest child work. That's like normal. Um, and, and I'm still hooking her up to the feeding pump to feed, but I'd have to feed a regular kid anyway, because I've done the prep to prep uh, the donated breast milk and the special formula and blah, blah, blah. Like, so it's, it's, it's a funny headspace I live in on most days. <laughs> that's normal to me. Um, I, like I imagine most moms of big families feel when you have more than what I like to call the average 2.2 children, you, you kind of live in this, in this different thing. Now, did I think this would be me? Like when I'm, 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 I turned 55 recently. I, did I think this would be at 55? Not really. Um, because I'm the oldest of eight children and my youngest sibling was born when I was a senior in high school uh -huh. and and when I was a senior in high school I was a super high achieving academic student plus I played on the basketball team um I I was being recruited by some bigger schools um for things and like I'm like you know what I, like babies are a lot of work I, I forget about this I'm I'm gonna go become a lawyer and the youngest partner in my firm and maybe become the first president of woman president of the United States in <laughs> politics at that time. Like, like babies are great and everything, but like this, Oh, like I saw the work. My mom was 42 when my youngest sibling was born. Like I knew, like I knew babies. They were a lot of work. My mother would toss that four month old on my chest at 2 a.m. and be like, I will call you into school tomorrow. Can you please just watch him for a while? I nursed him up. He just, my very smart youngest brother, the youngest in a big family of eight children, had decided the smart thing to do was to sleep all day when mom was busy right. and stay up at night when he oh. had her all to himself. Yeah. Smart, 
baby boy. And, you know, <laughs> mom just at some points and, and having, and it's funny because I did have my youngest biological child at age almost 42. I literally replicated <laughs> almost exactly that same thing, but she would toss him on me and be like, I nursed him up. He should be fine for three yeah. or four hours. Can you please just hold yeah. him? I will call you into school tomorrow. And I'm like, excellent. Okay. <laughs> and I just walk him around. But he, very, he, he was a like he's a very placid personality. He just wouldn't sleep till it was seven a.m. and yeah. for a while, yeah. yeah. And that was you know when mom got up and was getting all her other kids ready and doing stuff with her toddler because she had a there was like a five year space. She gave away all the baby stuff, and then okay. she had her last two when uh, I was a sophomore in high school and then a senior in high school. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, very funny. Um, but so that was what I was going to do. And then, you know, I made those plans and God went, ha, ha, ha. And the second person I met at college, the, not the second guy, the second person, the first guy I meet at college is uh, my dear husband right now, who we've been married for 33 years. Um like I did not go to college to find a guy. I went to college to become, you know, this crusading attorney person. Um, and then things sort of changed a little bit um, because, uh, you know, that, that was the feminist thing I bought into um, later in the 80s. When I was younger, uh, younger, I mean like eight, nine, 10, which was in the seventies, right? I I remember saying, and people have told me, I'd said, I wanna be like a lawyer like my dad and a mom like my mom. And then the eighties happened and it was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Mm. You gotta be, if you're gonna be a lawyer, you gotta be a lawyer, right? Yeah. Working yeah. girls, shoulder pads, the whole shebang. Right. And so that kind of morphed into that. Well, then I met my dear husband and, yeah like got married when I was 21 years old while we were both in law school together. Cause that's a whole other story, how I convinced him not to become a high school history teacher, like he was planning and to instead go to law school with me, which, oh, why? which turned into, I mean, it was rough at the time we were poor as heck. Um, and I do not recommend that sort of cauldron of academic stress and overachievement to a happily married couple. Oh my. But luckily we were both pretty young and pretty resilient and we were both very driven type A people. Okay. So, so we got married after first year of law school. We said, we're gonna finish law school together. And then Paul was going into the Navy to become a Navy lawyer. That's a Navy JAG lawyer. Um, at, Paul laughs that all his jobs have been made into really cool TV shows. He, <laughs> He was a JAG and now he's an FBI agent and he did white collar crime and white collar. So he's like, yeah, they made TV shows out of all my cool jobs. Oh, no. And, um, but back at the time he was going, he knew he was going into the Navy. He had that position right. ready and it's like, awesome. It's like, we'll finish this law school thing and you're going to be a Navy lawyer and let's have babies. <laughs> And like happy, happy. And like 
so I, I did, I worked a few little part-time little, like, like part-time little jobs because we lived in DC and they were always looking for people who were licensed as a lawyer in any state to like go through boxes of documents for these big government or law firm things. So I worked, I worked a few little part-timey things uh -huh. to like pay off student loans, like on the weekends or after Paul got home. Um, and then, yeah, and then we moved back to Chicago after he was done with the Navy and went in the FBI. And my dad and I, my dad had retired from his job as uh, the head of a trust department at a bank. And he was also a licensed attorney. And I came back and people were like, hey, Carla, we heard you're a lawyer now. Can you do this and this? Mm -hmm. So dad retired from the bank, which got bought out by three different people. And we were living four blocks away from each other. And we started our our law firm together, gotcha. you know, his last name, my last name, you know, father and daughter limited. We said we were limited in the amount of work we wanted to do and the amount of cases we wanted to take. Um, my dad, my dad is a first generation um, Italian born. He speaks Italian okay. fluently. Um, and a lot of our clients were Italian friends and family. Sure. He knew, you know, they all like to buy three flat apartment buildings to put grandma on the bottom and then, sure. you know, the, the older family on the top and then the younger kids on the side. And then they all hang out and they buy laundromats and investment properties. And then the old people die and they've given parts of their house to 47 different people. And you have to do that through probate. Oh so, so like literally my, I, 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 I did become a practicing attorney, oddly enough, but our office was in the bedroom at my parents' house that was no longer needed because seven of their eight kids had moved out and got married. And the extra bedroom that was the baby's room that had a crib and a piano and it became our office. And I just, <laughs> I just bring whoever was the baby over at the time and they'd hang out and we'd work and, yeah, you know, convenient. I go do estate planning for multimillionaires, like while there was a baby hooked up to me on my left side, so I could take notes with my right. Oh and my like God. it never, like it was a very, uh, a very awesome way to do something I was still interested in, make a sure. little extra money, do that. But like it was nothing like that 1980s working girl, you're going to be a powerful. Yeah. you know, working woman thing, but the, the toxic stuff had crept in. So even while I was working in a way that was very attuned with my feminine self and being a wife and a mother, there yeah. was a lot of toxic crud that was still finding its way in. I had a, I was a controlling type A which, which stood me in very good stead, right? Working, yeah, yeah. going through law school. Um, you know, we'd leave the house at 6 a.m. We'd go to our jobs. We'd be done at two or three. Then we'd go do law school classes to 9 p.m. at night, go home, study till midnight, wake up at 6 a.m., do the whole thing over again. Like being an organized, controlling person is a good thing for that. But it also like makes a guy nervous about saying he... He wants to, you know, take the kids out and you're yeah. giving him 47 instructions. You know, it, it didn't, it didn't work the best. And while we never had a seriously 
troubled marriage, there were some serious points of contention. And it it was, I, I was having trouble though figuring out like what it is and what to do. I, I didn't really know necessarily what to do, um, but like something I felt had to change. I knew, I knew it had something to do with, uh, again, I was raised by a very smart woman who was an at-home mom, but she really had some difficult issues to work through herself. Mm-hmm. So um, she was uber controlling over us kids. But again, like all the moms were back then, like that wasn't a weird thing, but over my dad, serious and my dad was kind of just more of a mellow go along get along guy Mm -hmm. um and my first in the military then in the fbi husband was not a go along get along guy i mean he was he's incredible he's incredibly good natured but when i tell him the best way to do x yeah or worse i would go out and have a wonderful night with girlfriends or um, I was a La Leche leader for years okay. and uh, did sometimes two meetings a week, helping out other places. I helped with the conferences for years. Um, and, and he was always like in the evening, like you've been home all, you know, you're, you're, but go out. I'm, I'm, you know, I can handle everything here at home. Yeah. And he did, he right. handled everything at home and, but then I'd come home and I'd be like, oh, well, you didn't clean up the dishes after you made dinner. Yeah. You know, oh, that's what you did. Oh, that's what you did with them. Oh, you know, we don't do X. You know, I, I yeah. like I was very hard to please. Yeah. And he was always like trying to make me happy and do things. And sure, of course. Yeah. And and. I did not receive those all the time well um, to the point where it would, like he would say, like, why are you complaining? Like (laughs) my children laugh at us that we argue like lawyers with each other (laughs) when we have a disagreement. So, so even when things were going great, there were rarely any blowups. We would like lawyer each other. He would be like, I am disappointed in the way yeah he would be like i am disappointed in the way that you did not properly receive this thing and i would be like well that is because you did only performed a b and c whereas x y and z was left on like we kind of go it's it's very funny like we're both i mean i think you can tell i'm kind of a bubbly happy like energetic person and he is too he never sits still but we we go into logic when we argue, and and again, my my now adult children say it's pretty funny. Oh my they, gosh! They yeah. So at, but it so it was like uncomfortable, and we're like, you know, why are we? And again, we we have always been very we we love each other to pieces. Mm-hmm. We yeah. we we are we are very connected. We we are. We are those people that people look at and go like, oh my gosh, you know, they're all, do they still like each other? This, oh, aren't you too done with that? Like, we've always been very like that and very, you know, passionate and intimate and 
clearly have a good connection, but there was like these little, there were these little sticking points all along the way. And I, I sort of started to realize kind of in my late thirties, like, I think most of these are me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think most of these are like, I have control over this. Um, and Paul has said to me, had said to me not too long before, um, because I, again, things would be really, really good, really great. Or, you know, we'd express our, you know, dislikes or things that were wrong in a very logical way. And I would say once or twice a year, I would absolutely blow up, scream and lose my crud and, the children would run in their bedrooms or the basement and be scarce for the whole day. They'd start cleaning things. My husband would stay away from me. And I'd just lose it once or twice a year. Uh, my, my mother was the queen of losing it. It was more like once or twice a week, not once or twice a year. Sure. Um, yeah. But So I'm like, well, I'm doing better than she is, right? Um, but I would still just get yeah. this overwhelming sense of rage that okay. like things were not happening the way I wanted them to happen. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I just lose it. I just lose it. And then I'd kind of come back to myself. And again, by this time, um, I was always Catholic. Um, we both were and never not practicing. But by that time, we had really um, come to a deeper conversion into our faith. And we're really trying very to 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 live our faith in a much more you know outward as well as inward way and integrate in our daily life like I was bringing this to confession I was like you know I I, why am I sinning by my you know terrible attitude and losing my temper Mm -hmm. in over silly things and and why am I mad at him because sometimes yeah sometimes I would just look at my husband again who I dearly love and I'd just be so angry. There was just anger. Um, just, duh. It just seemed like he was the logical target of my anger, even though 99 times out of 100, it was nothing he did. And so I started realizing, again, maybe maybe by a little of that confession, spiritual direction, the grace of God, that like maybe it was something about me. What am I doing? And, and again, because oh, I, I digressed and said Paul had told me, well, Carly, you're the emotional barometer for our family. If you're happy, everything is good. If you're in a mood, everything goes to heck around here. So much and, there. Right. And he's and I'm like, well, that's not fair. And he's like, I don't know if it's fair. It's just the way it is. Yeah. He he like he goes, because because Paul has a very stressful, very demanding job. And he also could kind of get into a funk, but somehow just throw everything completely off, you know, with the gazillion children we had like it did at that time. So um, I I can't remember exactly in what context it came out, but I have a very, very good friend, a a very godly woman. Her name is Jamie. Um, We were La Leche League leaders together. um, And she also had been working on some little things in her marriage. She said, Carla, I found this awesome book. I have been implementing some stuff from it and I highly recommend it. I think you should read it. It's called The Surrendered Wife. And I went, what? <laughs> yeah. Surrender. But I was, I had an open mind. If Jamie told me to read this book, I, I went to read this book. So okay. yeah. I, I got it. 
Um, there were no real structured six intimacy skills at that point. You just read the book and you yep. tried to kind of apply those situations. I actually like wrote down little notes on each chapter in a little notebook to try to interactions in my marriage and handle them that way. Sure. Um, so I started making changes back then. And yeah. um, it, it was very, very helpful because like, I don't know if I would have survived, you know, when our son died, if I already mm. hadn't had a couple of the skills under my belt. Because mm -hmm. when you're in grief, pain, trauma, you revert back to what's most comfortable. So um, it took a little while to get through, but, but by keeping those principles kind, I was able to get to a better place. And then like, like they just, things just kept expanding and getting better and better and better to, I can honestly tell you right now where we just had our 30, 30 anniversary, this is the best our marriage has ever been Aww. in our lives. And it's like a revelation kind of almost every day. Like mm. we keep thinking it can't get better. And I, I will say for the last year, um, it really has on a regular basis. No, no like in, in, every, in every respect, um, in every respect of teamwork, in, in respect, in helping each other, in mm -hmm. actual romance, intimacy issues, like it mm. just keeps getting better and better. So when you asked me to be on to talk about kind of like, like keeping that progression of mm -hmm. your marriage going, because Hollywood and the modern society lies to us, right? They mm -hmm. say the minute you put that ring on your finger, it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Like that's the app, right? That's the peak. That's the apex. You, yep. He asked you to marry him. That's, that's the Hallmark movie. Mm -hmm. You get proposed to in the town square on Christmas Eve and then everything else is that no I'm here to tell you that's false and I was deeply romantically in love with my husband when we married when he was mm. 23 and I was 21 and oh. I told you I could never be more in love with him than I am now and that's absolutely false it is it is it is false both in the in the human manner of you're going to grow and develop as a person. So you need to grow and develop the relationship mm -hmm. as well as the supernatural side of, um, as we, we develop this relationship, um, you can keep romance and intimacy alive for three decades. It absolutely can happen. Now each day doesn't look the same, you sure. know, there, there's, there's fellow periods and there are fertile periods like everything else in life to everything mm -hmm. there is a season but I, I i i am an absolute testimony to the fact that you can take a, a deeply a couple that's deeper deeply in love when they marry and if you still keep doing things 10 20 30 years later down the road you will be even happier you will be better bonded you will become more and more truly one flesh with each other as the time goes on and i think a couple things that helped me in this manner that i've really thought about pretty pretty concretely in the last 5 years let's say mm -hmm. um, are the five things that i kind of wanted us to share today 
Yeah. So um, let's jump into number one. Um, this is straight from Laura Doyle. And I had no idea this was the case. And it, to me, is almost the foundation of what helped me with things on my side that I was struggling with. And let's just be clear here, Aurora. Right now, in this moment, we are only talking to women, to right. wives. Yeah, I, I can tell you things I think guys could do to make their wives happier, but we're not. maybe we'll do that another time. Yeah. Today, we're talking <laughs> to the wives. Yeah. Women, you're looking at the mirror at yourself. This is the only person you can control on the daily. So what mm -hmm. can you do to magnetize your husband to get that honestly romantic, tingly, you know, I don't want to live in like a black and white shadow world. I want to live with vibrancy, with passion, mm -hmm. with excitement, adventure. I, I wouldn't have had 11 children if I didn't want to live like <laughs> So you can do that in a marriage also, but these are five things that I found very helpful to keeping that alive and moving forward in that progression. Because um, I, I, I'm a big fan of the self-help space, kind of in personal development and fitness and things like that. Okay. And pretty much everyone agrees that if you are not moving forward, you are stagnating and yeah. likely to slide back. I mean, I believe it's, St. Francis de Sales that talks about that in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And when he's, you know, introduction to devout life, you are either making progress or, or, or you're not. Like, yep. that's, it, don't think you can just stay there. You right. will backslide. There is no, I'm good now. Let's stop all this. That's not, not how right. exercise works. You right. can't go one day, I've hit my perfect physique now. Yeah. Oh, I will never have to exercise ever again. Right. But I don't like to term this as work. Oh, well, you have to keep working on your marriage. Like, I don't want to work on my marriage. I've got a lot of other work in my life. My marriage is the greatest source of joy and pleasure to my emotional, personal self. I don't want to work on it. But like, if you can look at these five things as things you can control, like, and, and develop, like it, to me, it takes the work out because some are not unpleasant to do they just require a a switch a change mm -hmm. a way of different way of thinking so let's go to number one number okay. one control kills romance women stop yep. being so helpful to your husbands stop it <laughs> this was huge i didn't know that i thought my job yeah life was to be helpful right. isn't that what good women do like right. make his lunch every day, lay out his clothes. Right. Make like no, like here. Honestly, my husband was a very self reliant, independent man. Hmm. His mother was in her forties when she had him, and his two brothers were twelve and fourteen when he was born. He didn't have somebody doing something for him every day. His mother was older. There were some difficulties in his family. His brothers moved out he took care of himself now he yeah. liked some parts of being taken care of by his wife but other things he found kind of belittling and sure. unnecessary and honestly just and he had a hard time though expressing to me why he did not like them hmm. he just had a hard time expressing to them except they kind of rubbed him wrong so when I would decide we were going through a budgeting phase 
And I would make his lunch every day and <laughs> a spectacular lunch or you know, leftovers from the meal he loved the night before. And I would wonder why four days out of five, it was left on the refrigerator or on the counter, or he would mm. sheepishly sneak it into his, from his car into the fridge and try to take it out the next day. And I would get yeah. so mad. Yeah. I would get mad. I'd be like, why aren't you eating my lunch? Yeah, yeah. Carla, are there like consistent signs, like consistent reactions from your husband that you could point to and be like, oh, that was a flag that he didn't like that? Yes, sneaking things to try to hide them from me because he thought I'd get mad at him. Okay. Sneaking the lunch back in the fridge so he could, he could grab it the next day. Um, okay. Asking, hey, hon, how did you like that lunch? And immediately trying to deflect, like, oh, you know, great as usual. Like, so okay. what did you like about it? Like, he couldn't say anything. I knew he didn't eat it. But he wouldn't come right <laughs> out and say, stop making me lunch. I feel like you're my mom and I'm in sixth grade. I'm a grown man. And his job required him to be in the car and out interviewing people all day. He's in law enforcement. And and he didn't know if he had a microwave or it wouldn't stay mm -hmm. cold or just mm -hmm. he didn't know when he was going to have a chance to eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He just wanted to eat what he wanted to eat when he wanted to eat it. But he <laughs> yeah. could see it would freak me out. So he would, he'd like tiptoe around it, right? Like, the, like that little boy that, mm -hmm. you know, broke something and would try to like kind of hide it, <laughs> you know, or put things under the bed. Like, and that's yeah. like, that is not attractive little boy behavior. That's like, mommy, don't be mad at me, little boy behavior. Yeah. I have, I have some examples of adorable little boy behavior that <laughs> we can all see in our husbands, no matter how old they are later. But that is huge. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm begging you ladies, stop being so helpful. Like, uh, and, and some are like, but my husband's asked me to do this. He asked me to make him his lunch every day. He reminds me that's totally different. Mm -hmm. yep. He has specifically asked for something, but like I tricked myself into thinking he wanted me to do it. And we ladies can trick ourselves into that. Can we? Yep. 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 You can trick yourself into thinking, oh, he, when he said we need to save money, that means I need to do his lunch every day. Yeah. Actually, that's not what it meant. Yep. Or that was just him talking to himself like, ooh, I'd better do this to take better yeah. care of the money. Maybe, yeah. you know, it, I heard, Carly, you need to economize in every corner of our lives and mm -hmm. take care of that and control it. Nope. Bad dynamic. So I, my mother was a very controlling woman. I'm the oldest of eight children. She was one of those people that her whole environment had to be controlled or else I think later I realized she suffered from terrible anxiety. Mm. So um, for me, it wasn't anxiety as much as that's just what I saw and was demonstrated to me to do. And I thought that was how I would be a good wife and yeah. ergo a good mother. Now, yeah. when I had children, it became worse because my husband's the youngest by a ton and never hung out with any babies. And I was the oldest of eight children <laughs> and was literally taking care of babies overnight from yeah. you know my teenagerhood. Yeah. Um, so who was the expert on those babies? Well, it was me. Yeah. Me. Who'd make fun of him when he put a baby's outfit on? Like oh. I'd make fun of him. It was funny. Yeah. He was the bumbling first time dad that we all see on the TV, right? 
ha ha I'm the smarter one I'm the more experienced one well guess what guy doesn't want to help with his new baby when he gets treated like that and again I apologize for that and he's he's all good I you know at a certain point I got so outnumbered there was no chance I was going to be able to do it listen I somehow I got by and again by practicing generally that relinquishing of control in step two which I'll talk about next like mm-hmm. I went from a man who is scared to dress his child didn't want to take him for a walk around the block in the stroller to a man who would literally take out six children under the age of 10 to a zoo in a large major city for an outing by himself <laughs> for 12 hours because I needed a break oh like that's where the progression goes if you relinquish that control yeah yep and do number two, because I think they are intrinsically linked. Respect and admiration for your mm-hmm. husband. Mm-hmm. When you respect that man for what he brings to the table and admire his efforts, even if they're not perfect in the mm-hmm. moment, sometimes they're not going to be, mm-hmm. or if they're different than yours, sometimes it's not they're as good, it's just they're different. Yep. And admire those and say, wow, you're doing some awesome dadding there. I have no idea how to be a dad. You are really figuring out this dad thing. Mm-hmm. Man, that took, he didn't have to be a second rate mom then. He yeah. could be the number one dad. And it yeah. was very helpful to me that I had two boys first because it, it felt a little easier to relinquish that control and to respect and admire him for doing boy things with them, you know, playing ball, mm-hmm. um, sword fighting with um, Christmas paper wrapping tubes, you know, yeah. things that he did with them that like, I know, I know I wasn't going to do that. I never, right. and that then built him up and is like, Hey, I kind of know these guys. And then we had a girl for number three and she was a bit of a wild card. And he'd be <laughs> like, why do these things I did with the boys not work with her? I'm like, oh, she's a girl. <laughs> he'd be like, okay. So that was like a whole other learning curve with having yeah. a girl. Um, but once we had one of each, by the time four, five, and six came along, we were also so outnumbered at that point that it was like, like awesome. Like he, he brought to the table what he brought to the table. Um, and uh, I respected it and admired it so much more. Honestly, to the point that I truly believe we would not have adopted the children we did because I was the one who had first suggested adopting after we had six biological children. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have agreed except for the fact that, again, I had gotten to the point where I respected him as a husband and a man. I admired his fathering and I had let him do those things in the way he wanted to do them. I had stopped controlling them. I stopped being so smother mother. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that gave him the confidence to say, yeah, you know what? We can kind of take the next step and go into some graduate level parenting here in Mm -hmm. our forties because we didn't adopt them. Graduate level parenting. Oh boy. (laughs) Ladies, I hope you learned something from part one of our interview with Carla. Um, Our full interview is actually about an hour and a half, so we will stop here for today and give you about another half hour to digest 
next week. So tune in next Sunday for part two. We'll pick up right here where we faded out. Again, thank you for joining us for our first episode of year two of the Will to Wife podcast. And for all your support and feedback and encouragement over the last year, we are so grateful. We will see you next week, ladies. God bless.